1: Tonight we're going to jump into 2 Peter because before this, la- this last series that we started, we had just finished 1 Peter. All of that is part of a series on letters to young churches. That's the name of the series that we were in. We're coming back to it for a little while. And so 2 Peter begins chapter 1, verse 1 of 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. End of the first paragraph. Now, if it's a letter that you've read before, the words may sound familiar, maybe even over familiar. It all depends on how many times you've read it. Certainly the New Testament is a faster read than the Old Testament because there's fewer books in it. But if you take your time with this and that's what we're going to strive to do. We talked about this in 1st Peter in our Bible studies that uh, you know the apostles Paul and the apostle Peter had very different writing styles. They also had very different educational backgrounds. They had diff- very very different upbringings altogether. They were both Jews, we understand that. Um but Paul was very much an educated man, had the degrees, so to speak. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, had been brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, raised up in the faith of the religion of the Jews, and all of that. All of that was in place. And his teaching style and his writing style was much more verbose. Peter, not so much. But even in Paul's verbosity, if you will, as we've said many times in the study of Paul's letter, none of Paul's words were wasted. He used a lot of words, but none of them were meaningless filler. And fluff They all had significance. And Peter's no exception. He tends to be somewhat more concise than Paul. Having, um, I don't want to call him illiterate, but he was raised as a fisherman. He wasn't raised as a scholar. And he did not pursue scholarly endeavors as in the course of making his living before the Lord Jesus found him and called him to discipleship and apostleship in him. But Peter... He's making some very serious points here in this first paragraph. First are his greetings, of course, his opening one or two, uh, one or two verses. He wishes grace and peace to be multiplied on the on the believers to whom he is writing. Well, who is he writing to? All believers. It's addressed, generally speaking, to them that have obtained like precious faith. It wasn't. It wasn't addressed to one specific church. It was addressed to the entire body of Christ. We don't know exactly who it was sent to. It's not revealed in the first chapter here, but he makes it very clear who it's for. It's for you, and it's for me, and it's for you. It's to all of us that have obtained like precious faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand that because when you understand who the target audience is, then you understand this is for me. This letter was written for me to instruct me in righteousness, to instruct me in the paths of faith and in the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple, right? To be a disciple is to be someone who is brought under the discipline of a certain school of thought. The root word is the same. So he wishes us grace and peace. He wishes it multiplied unto us. And then in verse 3 is where he goes deep, Right away, he says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What's that mean? Everything that we need to live a godly life, everything that we need to live a holy life has been given to us already. There's nothing that we're missing. There's nothing that we're missing at all. We have all of the resources that we need. Well, how exactly, one might ask. Well, it says it right here. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So all of the resources that we need to live a successful, which is to say successfully Christian. I'm not talking about work and business and money and love and all these other things that people try to be successful at. Although all of that is in there too. But the context that Peter is talking about is all everything that we need to live a victorious and a successful Christian life is acquired, it is given to us, and it is received by us through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And we can unpack this to almost limitless depth here, or depth, excuse me, almost limitless depth here, as deep as we want to dig, by just paying attention to Peter's language. He says, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And I want to focus on there is both this word knowledge and these other words back here, glory and virtue. Do we have as Christians in the modern age, do we have any inkling to those things that God has called us to? Or is it just some casual thing? And these aren't notes, by the way. This is straight scripture that we're teaching out of. Just to be clear, I haven't pulled out someone's commentary or or, or dug up some other text that could be debated as to whether or not it was inspired. I got nothing in front of me except Second Peter, chapter one. Well, I got more than chapter one. I got through. I think the end of Second Peter. But it's nothing but scripture in front of me here. So we're not trying to teach any denominational slant or someone's independent um take on the word of god it's all right here and it all speaks for itself we are called to know about god and we are called to know god himself for ourselves does that make sense oh yeah man this goes deep this goes much this goes much much deeper as far as it being personally relevant to us it goes much deeper than just a class that somebody takes down at LCCC over at UW. This goes much deeper than some college-level course or, or some correspondence course or some online, online class. This isn't University of Phoenix. This is God's own school of virtue that He has called us to being disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's realize that striding into this right from the beginning. Let's understand God has called us to this, to learn and to know and to understand. We need to know God. It's not all just about knowledge about God. We're not trying to make it that either because then that's purely an academic endeavor, okay? We have to know God for ourselves. You do that through coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. Or else it's all just a bunch of information in your head. And what God wants is, is an intimate relationship and a personal relationship with every single man and woman that's willing to believe on Him. Okay, And then having that, now it's time to dig down into the Word and add to that our knowledge. We're going to actually get into that to a much greater degree here in the second paragraph, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to rush through this introduction because 2 Peter has one, two, three, three chapters. And we're not going to do any of them a disservice. Lord willing, until that last trumpet sounds and His church is taken away, we have time. So let's take our time. Amen? So we're called unto knowledge of Him. He makes that clear in verse 3. But to what end? Is it just for the sake of knowledge? Is it like we were already saying, we've already refuted this, but you know, is it for the sake of earning a fancy degree or getting a certificate that says... I have completed such and such reading. I know we've got a Bible reading contest, but we're called unto knowledge. But it's not just for knowledge's sake. We're called unto knowledge because of what he says here, or partly at least what he says here at the back part of verse three. The knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. And now we're all about the glory part, I know, especially in modern churches. Oh, we love the thought of it. You know, we, we love thinking about, and it's good to think about, I'm not criticizing this. We love to think about what we're going to receive as, as, as fellow heirs, as co heirs with Jesus Christ. What we're going to receive in the, in the kingdom that is coming. What we're going to receive in the afterlife when we pass out of this life and into the life to come and we are with our Lord forever and all of that, we like to think about that and imagine what it's going to be like in the New Jerusalem. But we're called to more than that. Yes, we're called to glory. And that glory is deeper than just somebody throwing some gold dust in the air in a church. Why am I bringing that up? I've heard a few things about that recently. It's got absolutely no biblical precedent whatsoever that really isn't glory. That's theatrics. I'm going to be very plain about that. Am I saying that it's sinful for a church to do that? No, but I am saying that it isn't what some people represent it to be. I saw a video recently somebody talking about how the Spirit of God or the glory of God can manifest as gold dust. And I've been reading the Bible since... It's the early 1990s. I've never come across anything scriptural that lends any legitimacy to that kind of a claim whatsoever. Neither do you find any historical accounts of such a phenomenon at any time at all, at any point in the 20th century. And I know we're in the 21st now, but that's my whole point. It doesn't seem to have become a thing until the last 20 years or so. So um, we're not called to theatrics and we're not called to mysticism and we're not called to all these things that some people have tried to inject into the worship of God. We're called to glory and to virtue and real glory comes from God. It doesn't come from a smoke machine or a light show or projectors. And I'm not against projectors, right? We've got plans here to put something in place once we're able to do so, but it's not for theatrics, it's for the sake of simply making it easier for folks to sing and worship God in spirit and in truth. And it can be a little hard to do that when you want to clap and worship God and all that, but you've got a book stuck in your hand. You understand what I'm saying? So we're called to glory, but real glory, you got to remember, that comes from God. Real glory comes from God. We're also called to something that is every bit as important, if not more important. And that's the second thing he says in verse three right here, virtue. We're called to virtue. We're called to virtue. And the reason why I've got this saddled up pretty securely and we're gonna ride it for a little while is because it's something that is largely discarded in the modern churches. We don't like talking about virtue. We like talking about the glory and we like talking about the inheritance and we like talking about the rewards, but we don't like talking about the virtue that we are called to because virtue is something that is noticeable. It is often visible. It is demonstrable and is potentially measurable. And modern Christians don't like that. Because anything that's visible in our Christianity is something that is hard to fake. Does that make sense? It's hard to fake. But we are called to virtue. Now, we're not called to virtue as a vehicle for salvation. We know that. That's something we we beat that drum to pieces in this church to make it very clear that it's known and that it's understood. Virtue does not save a person. Virtue and good works and and any of these things that the Bible promotes. uh, As far as that goes, these works Or these qualities, they don't save an individual. They don't make an individual righteous. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves. And it's that alone. It is faith that saves. That blood being the vehicle of it, okay? It's faith that saves, not our works. The Bible says as much, and it tells us why. That lest any man should boast, okay? And Paul speaks of that exhaustively in his letters. And so we understand that. We're not looking to dismantle that at all. But then having been saved, having been born again, brothers, sisters, Christians, all, we are called to virtuous lives. Why? Because it's what's indicative of the salvation that has occurred in us. Now we could jump over to James because James puts it all in James puts it all in that beautiful, even perfect perspective. And we taught out of James already just two weeks ago when we were talking about the relationship between faith and works. We've already covered that base, but James goes into greater deep. There's more to be said about it, I guess is what I'm saying. We're called to virtuous lives because virtuous lives, which are lives that manifest the virtues of God in us and holy living in us and the the, metaphor, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're called unto these things. And you tell me, judge ye, okay? Judge ye in your own mind. You don't have to say anything about it necessarily, but consider this in your own mind. Does it not strike you as odd? Does it not strike you as inconsistent? I'm not trying to say that you're being judgmental about it. You may never even say a word to anyone about it, but does it not strike you as odd when you are... When you are witnessing the life of someone who professes Jesus Christ to be their Lord and to be their Savior, yet the actions of their life and the deeds of their life, the lack of virtue in their life, shouts to the contrary. Doesn't it strike you as, well, that's puzzling. And I'm not going to get specific. The, The Bible gets specific enough. We'll cover that just in the course of going through text okay going through the text of the Word of God it's puzzling when you say that person says they're a Christian but my goodness they're cursing like a sailor I guess I will get specific how's about that so is that loaded well no not really I used to work at a, I used to work at a company it was a job that I had for a little while it was a short job blessedly mercifully it was a short job um, just for reasons. Well, I was working at it. I worked with a lady that uh, uh, was a member of a particular church and said she was a Christian. She'd been going to this church for however long. But you couldn't have a conversation with her without it just being very clear. There were some things that just were not right in her life. So you're being judgmental. Well, maybe so. Maybe so, but Jesus tells us to judge righteous judgment, doesn't he? That's Gospel of John right there. I know in Matthew he says, judge not lest ye be judged, but he says, why? So if I had a filthy vocabulary myself, I would have had, I would have no business judging uh, the actions of someone like that because I'd be guilty of the same thing. That makes me a hypocrite and the judgment wherewith I have judged, I will also be judged. That's what Jesus talks about over in Matthew. But in John, he says to judge righteous judgment, not just to judge according to the sight of the eyes, which is to say don't just judge with the evidence of your senses, but judge righteous judgment. Make sure when you judge something that you are judging righteously and that you're not guilty of it yourself. That's just an example of what we're talking about. We're called to virtue we're called to a different kind of speech and communication and a different kind of living and a different kind we're called to a life that demonstrates the transformative power of Jesus Christ in us that's what we're called to so what if i'm not living up to it it's time to start and i'm not making that judgment call on anybody here tonight or anybody anybody that's at home listening or or watching the scriptures or listening to to the podcast or the broadcast tonight. We're We're not judging anybody tonight. We're just making it clear that this is what we're called to. And that if for whatever reason a believer has not been measuring up or hasn't even been trying to measure up, it's time to. Is it not time to? At what point as Christians do we resolve in our hearts to say, you know what? Right or wrong, good or bad, if I haven't been doing what I know I've supposed to be I'm supposed to be doing in Jesus Christ, I'm going to start today. And if I have been doing things that I should not have been doing, and I know better because of the word of God, because I am a Christian, I'm going to cast these things off today. I've taken off my old my old uh, how does the song go? My old tattered garments. I think that's the, the phrasing in that old hymn or in that uh, chorus that we sing sometimes in our churches. I've cast off these old tattered garments. I've put off these old filthy garments of the old life. I have been called. Right here, 2 Peter chapter 1. It's right there. We can't rightly argue with the word. I have been called to virtue. I'm going to live it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to implement it in my life by the power of the Holy Ghost in me. The ability that He has given me by His Spirit. And it is going to be a work in my life as unto God that manifests, that demonstrates saving faith that, that I have, that God has given me. It's going to demonstrate it. I'm no longer going to make excuses. I'm no longer going to say, Oh, well, it's all faith and there's no works even involved in the Christian life. I, because of faith that has already saved me, I am going to do the good works that God has called me unto, according to the Apostle Peter, who was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Amen. In fact, you know what? I'm going to even even make this participatory, all right, a little bit. Can we all resolve to do that? Let me hear an amen. 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 Alright, and that's from the heart, and it's sincere. Why? Because we are his children. Because we are his dear children. Alright, let's move on. So he's called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, by what? These promises, by these ye might be partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That by these promises, you and me, and as many as have achieved or obtained, to use Peter's language, as many as have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, that we might be partakers of the divine nature. That's heavy duty stuff. Remember, Peter wasn't just tossing out random words or poetic language. He wasn't trying to sound like an intellectual. He wasn't writing this with a sport coat on with leather elbow patches and a pipe in his mouth, pretending to be a professor just so he could sound smart. Set up a YouTube channel and a Patreon account. Donate to my cause. And then just whatever sounded good, then that's what he would go with. He meant every word he was saying here that we might be partakers by these we may be partakers of the divine nature we partake of jesus's divine nature we partake of the divine nature of god we change natures where once we were all before christ in our lives what were we well we were all animal weren't we i mean we were more than that but We lived like we were all animal. It was all just whatever felt good to the flesh, you know, and whatever moral or ethical standards we felt like we had to work within for the sake of the whatever um, culture that we lived in and community that we lived in so we didn't cause too much trouble. Um, John Wesley, Jonathan Wesley, founder of the Methodist uh, denomination like 200 plus years ago or so, um, he called that sort of thing heathen honesty which was just as much honesty as was required to be able to function in a society uh, without being arrested, thrown in jail, or having your head lopped off. It was just enough honesty, just enough virtue to be able to function in a society without getting into trouble. We have to be more than that. And in Jesus Christ, we are, we can be, and we must be. But the good news is we can be, and we are. And so he says that here, we might be partakers of the divine nature. And so in Jesus Christ, we're no longer just operating by animal nature. We're no longer just living. We're not living by the flesh and letting the flesh dictate our actions and our philosophies and our ethics and the things that we do that way. It's way beyond that. Now we are partakers of the divine nature. And when you're partaker of the divine nature, your your understanding is enlightened, your mind is enlightened, your heart is enlightened. You have transcended the mere flesh, though you still dwell within it. We've transcended it. And we're living in a, you could say we're living in a different plane. And forgive me if I'm using um, terminology that lean, that might sound like it's leaning towards the new age. Where do you think the new age gets it from? Any real virtue to be found out there has been co-opted from biblical truth. We've got the real source right here. So let's live it. That we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, man, we just finished dealing with that and what we were just talking about. Animal nature is all about lust. And I'm not just talking about sexual lust. Lust is... Lust isn't just sexual. Lust is anything that is ardently, fervently desired, and, and then that desire takes over and, and, and influences your thoughts, and then you're driven by that. A lot of people, it's a lust for money. So with some, yeah, it's the what's more traditionally understood to be lust. It's carnal. It talks about sex and all of that, um, but lust for money, uh, lust of the flesh, uh, lust for You name it. Lust for power. We're seeing a lot of that active in the United States right now and in other places of the world. You're seeing a lot of that. That lust is very real. So it's not just sexual lust that he's talking about. He's saying that in God, in partaking of the divine nature, in God, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Where does corruption come from? whether it's political corruption whether it's behavioral corruption any type of corruption where does what are, where does corruption come from it comes from the lusts of various kinds that burn within the hearts of men and women those lusts burn influence the thoughts and the thoughts the thoughts inform and are the the the, the, the genesis of our actions and there you have it but in god So let's take all of this and just roll it up since we need to to wrap this up tonight. Let's take this whole first paragraph and roll it up. What's our takeaway from this? God's divine power. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue in order to fulfill that call to both glory and virtue. you You may not even see the glory. That glory may even be referring to. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that it is. That glory refers to the glory we receive at the end of this whole thing anyway, okay? If you're gonna receive the glory, you better manifest the virtue, amen? We're called to that. And so what's the vehicle to that? Knowledge. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of the Word of God. How, how do I obtain knowledge of God? Lose yourself in the Word. It'll show you all kinds of things. It's all there. It's not hard to understand. And it doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take an ultra-high IQ. It's all there for us. We just need the appetite and the execution. The follow-through, okay? Okay. And it's through all of this, he says, whereby are given us exceeding great, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see how much is in just these first few verses? This goes deep, man. And it'll speak to the deepest part of you if we'll let it If you'll let it speak to you, if you have ears to hear and you want to meditate on this, this is is the sort of thing that you meditate on. This is the sort of thing that is Christian meditation. You sit and you fill your mind with the Word of God. Let it speak to you. And, And the Spirit of God will speak to you through it. It's wonderful, it's enlightening, and it is profoundly liberating.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible Studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving